All right, let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to talk to you today about the power of foolishness. The power of foolishness. So we're living in a day and an age. Actually, it's not just this day and this age. The world thinks you are foolish for believing in the message of the cross. That's not something new. That's something that has always been. The cross is foolishness to the world. The cross is counterintuitive. It's contrary to worldly wisdom. Think about it. Victory through death and death on a cross at that. The most horrendous and shameful death a person could die. Jesus died that death. And it looked like anything but victory. In fact, it looked foolish that his disciples had followed them, followed Jesus all of those years. And Jesus had talked about the coming of the kingdom. And Jesus had done all these great miracles only to end up dying on a cross. From the world's perspective, from a natural view, it looked like utter foolishness that anyone followed that man. The cross opposes everything the world stands for. That is foolishness to the wisdom of the world. But what is foolishness to the world, God calls powerful for his people. The message of the cross is foolishness to those perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Though the world cannot understand, for those being saved, there is power in the foolishness of the cross. It's important for us to understand that truth in this day, in this age that we live. Because the cross is still foolishness to the world. And it's not only foolishness. There is more and more hostility toward the message of the cross and the message of the gospel. So as the people of God, we better know where to stand and how to stand and why we are to stand. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 30. These are the words of the Apostle Paul written to the church at Corinth who was actually going through the very same type of opposition and persecution that we are going through today because those things are not new. They've been since the beginning, since the gospel's inception. The world has considered it foolishness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ. Who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds. Lord, let this gospel, that is the power of God, the salvation, change us and transform us. We ask, God, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would make us bold to speak your word boldly, to live your gospel boldly. Lord, in a culture that is more and more increasingly hostile to the message of the cross and the message of the gospel, Father, help us as your people to stand firm and to stand boldly and to proclaim with a loud and certain voice the message of the gospel that is foolishness to the world, but is the power of God to salvation. Father, we ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The message of the cross is foolishness to the world, but it is the power of God to those who being saved. The message of the cross has always been foolishness to those who are perishing. That's not new. It didn't begin in 2018. It didn't begin in the last decade or the last half century. This is why Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, because they were struggling with the very same things we struggle with today. They were living under the very same pressures and persecutions that we live under today. They had the very same voices telling them how foolish their faith was, how silly it was to trust in a resurrected Savior. While Greek culture was trying to shed everything of the material realm and, and just seeking knowledge because that's where salvation really was. It wasn't in the physical realm. It was in the realm of the Spirit, in the realm of knowledge. That's why the thought of Jesus being bodily resurrected was such foolishness to them. The Jews thinking their Messiah was going to come and overthrow the greatest empire uh, that ruled the face of the earth, thinking that their king would come and overthrow with military might and power this empire that had enslaved them. When they saw Jesus hanging on the cross, dying on the cross, even in the face of his resurrection, that was not the Messiah that they were looking for, and it was a stumbling block to them. And so today we live in a culture where the message of the cross and the message of the gospel is absolute foolishness to the world around us. We live in a time when people actually believe and our culture actually supports that just by wishing something, just by desiring something, just by identifying as something, you can be that. Don't want to be a boy? That's fine. 
You can be a girl just because that's what you identify as. Forget gender, forget genetics, forget counting chromosomes. The reality is not what biology or genetics say. The reality is what you say. I thought it was kind of comical. I watched the interview of the man in Sweden, I think it is, somewhere over there in the uh, um, Sweden or Norway. What do you call that part of the world, Mr. Al? What's that called? That's called the uh, uh, Scandinavian. In some Scandinavian country, this guy is 69 years old. And he says, I don't feel 69, I feel 49. So he says, hey, if somebody can identify as a girl who's really a boy or can identify as a boy who's really a girl, he's actually suing the government because he wants his birth certificate changed to say that he's 49. Because at 69, no one will give him a home to a mortgage to buy a home because he's too old. So if he can get his birth certificate switched to 49 and he feels 49 and he's healthy like a 49 year old so why can't he be 49 who cares about age who cares about counting years that doesn't mean anything so he's actually suing the government to have his birth certificate changed to 49 so that he can reap the benefits of a 49 year old versus a 69 year old and you know what i say if they're going to let people identify as the opposite gender just because that's what they identify as, then why can't that guy identify as a 49-year-old? Why is he any different than the guy who wants to be a girl or the girl who wants to be a guy? Yet, I promise you it will be different because then you start talking about real economics. And what really drives everything is not, not our desire for people to just will be able to be what they want to be. What ultimately drives things is, is money and power and control. So as Americans, we live in a nation and a culture that has historically embraced the message of the cross. In large part, this nation was founded for the gospel in the quest for religious freedom. There's a lot of people that disagree with that. But if you just go read simple history, you just go read. Don't start in 1776. Go back and start reading from the 1500s and the 1600s. And you read about what was happening in Europe. And you read about why the people sailed over on the Mayflower. And you read about why people came here to establish a nation and a way of life far different than what they were experiencing in Europe. America is a product of the Reformation. It was an idea and a nation formed from a desire to be free and to live out the gospel. And our nation was founded on that, and we are still reaping the benefits of that, though most people, many people in our culture today, make absolutely no connection between who we are as Americans, what we have as Americans, the freedom that we have, they make absolutely no connection to that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, they think the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually the opposite, that it's actually robbing us of freedom, that it's actually the reason we've got problems in the world. And they could not be more 
wrong, but that's exactly what the lie of the enemy always does. So even in the beginning at the garden, here God says to Adam and Eve, you can eat from every tree except this one. And what does the enemy come? He comes and he focuses on the one tree and he deceives the man into believing the lie, one lie, and man falls into sin. It's the same thing that we see today. The very thing that will save us is the very thing the enemy is trying to convince us is our problem. Our nation has witnessed a decline in the historical acceptance of the gospel, and that decline is fast becoming a steady erosion. Particularly in the last five decades, that erosion has increased from an uncomfortable tolerance of the gospel to open hostility toward the gospel. When the people of God fail to understand what is happening and why it is happening, there is a temptation to compromise our faith to get along with the world. But compromise will eventually and always lead to a complete abandoning of the faith. The justification for compromise is that we can win people by making the message more appealing and less offensive. But here's the truth, church. There is no way that you can make the deadly, bloody cross of Jesus Christ less offensive than it really is. Unless you want to just ignore it altogether. And much of the church is actually doing that today. We don't want to talk about the blood. We don't want to sing about the blood. We sure don't want to preach about the blood, much less sin, because it's too bloody. It's too uncomfortable. People won't come to our churches if we talk about uncomfortable things like that. So let's just pretend like that doesn't exist, and let's just only highlight the aspects of God that are appealing to the world. Well, I'm sorry. That's not who God is. That's not the gospel. That's not the message of the cross. Do you notice Paul didn't say, I have purposed to know among you nothing except Jesus Christ and him resurrected? That's not what Paul said. I mean, everybody loves the resurrection, right? We all want to be resurrected. But we conveniently, willfully forget that in order to have a resurrection, you got to have a death. And Paul didn't say, I purpose to know nothing among you except Christ and him resurrected. No, he said, I purpose to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me daily. God gave us a brain. He gave us the ability to reason. And when we read the words of Jesus and we see those words and Jesus says, if you desire to be my disciple, take up your cross daily and follow me. What reason tells us, what, what just common sense tells us is that we have picked that cross up for a reason. We've picked it up because it's going to be our demise. It's going to be our death. It's going to kill us just like it killed Jesus. But just like Jesus was killed on that cross, he was resurrected as a result of that death. And so if we are willing to take up our cross and willing to die and to be crucified with Christ, the promise of God, the hope of God is that we will also be raised up with him in his life and in his power. And in reality, in fact, you are, if you are trusting in Christ, if you are in Christ right now, you have already been raised up in Christ. 
The fact that your body will die one day and your body will be resurrected and glorified one day is a certainty because you have already been raised up in Christ, because you've already been crucified with him. That means your life is not your own. My life is not my own. This is what Paul writes, in fact, to these Corinthian believers. He says, do you not know that your life is not your own? You were bought with a price. Our life is not our own to do with as we wish. Our life belongs to Jesus. He bought it. He purchased it with his blood, with his very life on the cross. It belongs to him to do with what he wishes. That means we should be asking him, Lord, what do you want of my life? Lord, what do you want? Not just general big picture, but every day we should be asking God, God, what would you have for me today? And then really be open to what he might say. A growing norm is a complete abandonment of the faith. There are all sorts of reasons given why. We can go to all the church growth seminars and read all the church growth books and all the experts tell us why there is an abandonment of the faith. And there may be valid reason in some of those things, but here's the reality and the simple truth. It's no different today than it was when Jesus came. And Jesus told us exactly why there was an abandonment of the faith. It's because people love the lie instead of the truth. The truth is that resistance is too difficult and the lie too appealing for those who reject the truth and love darkness rather than light. This is not new. This is normal for the world. It's new for many who were blessed to have lived, even if thoughtlessly, and many of us, myself included, for many years lived thoughtlessly in this nation, partaking of the freedoms that were passed down to me, ultimately, in reality, because of the gospel. A nation that historically and largely embraced Christianity and the gospel. But that is now changing. And if the church is going to see a new day, it must return back to the old story. We all want new things. We think we need new ways, new methods, new music, new messages, new clothes, new environments, new fashion and furnishings, but really what we need is not something new. We need something old. We don't need to find new things. We need to return to the old thing. We need the old story, the story that saved us, the story that changed us, the story that gave us everything we have that we take for granted every day. We must relearn and retell the old story, the old story of the gospel. It is the message of the cross. It is the message that is deemed foolishness by the world. 
It's known to be the power of God, though, to all who are being saved by it. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, though it is necessary for their salvation, whether they know it or not. Therefore, no matter how foolish the world may think the message is, we, the church, must be bold in communicating that message of the gospel. We must communicate that message through our life, for it is the power of God to salvation. We must communicate it through our life and through our words. We communicate it in the smallest and in the largest of detail. It's not just something that we communicate on Sunday mornings in a sermon. It is to be communicated throughout our life in every way that we live our life the way we talk and the way we walk and the way we work and the way we play. God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. God's promise is to destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. In other words, God humbles the proud in using the foolishness of the gospel to bring about salvation. To those who are being saved, the gospel is not foolishness, it's the power of God. For those being saved, the wisdom of this world is what is foolish. As it stands in contrast in opposition to the power of God that is the message of the gospel. Yet constantly we read and we see where the world is trying to embrace sin and compromise. I just read an article where the first openly lesbian bishop in Sweden, no doubt, has, has commanded that they take crosses down in areas of the church and establish Muslim prayer rooms so that the Muslim immigrants won't feel uncomfortable walking into a Christian church and having to see crosses. The bishop has ordered this in Sweden. The Christian bishop... I saw that and I said, that can't be true. I researched it. it it's true. It, it is true. It's happening right now. And they're touting it as something that should be, we should be proud of. This is what the church should be doing. This is the progressive way of thinking that we need to embrace. It's people like your pastor who's stuck in the past, who's a hater, who's a bigot. Who, who can't get past the Bible. We need to get past, don't you know we just need to get past the Bible? Because the Bible is, it's, it's just literature. It doesn't really mean anything. You really shouldn't live your life by that because there's too much hate in there. There's too many old things. We're living in a new age. We need to take our crosses down so that everyone will feel welcome, whether they're Christian or not. Because after all, all paths lead to God. You don't have to believe in Jesus. You just need to be in sincere in whatever you believe. This is, this is the new gospel in the world. And there are nations. Canada is one of them. Nations throughout Europe that the very preaching and teaching that I'm doing right now could be considered hate speech. And yet we live in a country and Americans say that, would, that could never happen here. Really? Did you pay attention to this last election? Have you paid attention to who's been elected to Congress? 
who openly says we need to turn this country into a socialist country? Say, now, pastor, you're crossing the line. You're getting into politics, and you shouldn't be doing that. No, I'm not getting into politics. This is spiritual. Because those very same people that want to make this a socialist country also believe that this Bible is filled with hate, and we need to get rid of it. You can be a Christian if you want, but you're going to have to be a Christian that embraces the new order of things, like take down your crosses, accept everyone into your church, and don't tell anyone that they're wrong, and certainly don't tell anyone that their lifestyle is sinful, because that's hateful. You know why? They, and they really believe that. Because, Paul tells us exactly why, because the message of the cross is foolishness to the world. It's foolishness to them. Why is the message of the cross diametrically opposed to the ways of the world? Because the cross says you can't live life the way you want. In fact, the cross says you don't even own your own life. It's not your life anymore. It belongs to Jesus. And Jesus now tells you how to live your life. This word that communicates the living word who is Christ, this tells us how to live our life. Well, what if my lifestyle is contrary to that? What if I want to live my life in a way that goes contrary to this book right here? Well, according to the Bible, according to Orthodox Christianity, that's not our call anymore. If you're saying you trust in Jesus, then your life belongs to him. And your lifestyle belongs to him. And your lifestyle should conform to what this book says. But the world says, no, that's wrong. That's hateful. That's unloving. Because people ought to be able to live their lives any way they want to. And no one should call anything sin. Oh, well, we've got obvious things, you know, we call sin or bad. But certainly not gender or sexuality or marriage or not marriage. Of course, murder is wrong unless that baby's in the womb then it's okay. The world through wisdom, this is the wisdom of the world, but the world through wisdom cannot know God. Rather, it is through the foolishness of the message preached that God has chosen to save those who believe. To those who seek a sign, the gospel is a stumbling block. To those who seek after wisdom, it is foolishness. But to those who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We deliver the message to all men, and those called will respond in humble faith by the grace-filled power of God. The message that was once foolishness to them will have become the power of God to save them. It's not through man's wisdom or might or rank or position that God saves men. This is what Paul meant when he said there are not many wise among you. He didn't say there weren't any people there with wisdom. He was saying wisdom according to the world. 
the world, if you believe this Bible, listen to me, church, if you believe this Bible, if you're trusting in Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of the world, not the Jesus make-believe Jesus that the world wants you to believe in, if they're going to let you have a Jesus, they're going to define him on their terms. He will not be defined by the terms of the Bible, by the Word of God. They'll let you have a Jesus, but it will not be the Jesus of the Bible. But if you're a person who believes in the Jesus of the Bible, if you're a person who believes the Word of God is the Word of God, it is true, and that this is our only hope, the message of the cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you believe that today, the world out there thinks you are an absolute fool. They may not tell it to your face, but more and more we're living in a time where they will not only absolutely tell you to your face, but they're going to try to stop you from believing what you believe. So when Paul says there are not many wise among you, he wasn't saying everyone who's a Christian is dumb. He's saying, listen, you are different from the world. You're different from the wisdom of the world. The people in the world that are handing out the certificates that give you your approval, they're not giving them to you guys because they think you're a bunch of fools for believing in this resurrected Jesus. This has nothing to do with your IQ. It has everything to do with the stamp of approval the world may or may not put upon you. He said, there's not many mighty among you. There's not many noble in other words, not many of you were born into royalty, were born into a, a position because none of those things determine whether we're saved by God or not. God has chosen the foolish things. In fact, Paul says, God's chosen you on purpose. God's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, the weak things to put to shame the mighty, and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. God works contrary to the way of the world so that no flesh should glory in his presence. A response to the gospel is not by the wisdom of man. It is by the power of God. When you responded to the gospel, it's not because you had a bright idea. It's because God opened your eyes, opened your mind, opened your heart so that you could respond. It was the power of God, not the wisdom of man that saved you. You are in Christ Jesus because of him, not because of yourself. But of him, Paul writes, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus Christ is our wisdom from God. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption all of these are by him and for him and in him. No man will ever be able to take credit for his own salvation. It is the power of God and the glory of God. Salvation is of the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. Knowing that salvation is the power of God and not the wisdom of man should liberate us to go and make disciples. A lot of people tell me, well, Pastor Jeff, I don't really know how to make a disciple because I don't really know that much about the Bible myself. Salvation is not based on how well you speak. It's not, it's not even based on how well you know your Bible because you didn't get saved because you knew your Bible really well. You got saved because God saved you. 
when you didn't know anything about the Bible. I'd never read a Bible, didn't go to church. Literally, I had a Bible in my room growing up that came from my grandmother, I guess. It was in a box. I looked at it one time that I can remember in my life before I went off to college and left it behind. I never read a Bible, never went to church. I didn't know anything about what the Bible said because I didn't even own a Bible when I got saved. So it's not based on how well you speak or how well you know your Bible. Salvation is based on the power of God, not man's wisdom or man's persuasive abilities. We can share our faith in Christ without having degrees in theology or having mastered all the doctrines of the faith. We should never hesitate to share our faith on the most basic level for God in his power can take the most basic message of the gospel and save men with it. Making disciples does not require you to know everything because none of us know everything. Making disciples requires that you commit to walk together with someone, learn together with someone, grow together with someone in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. At the worst case scenario, if, if, if they ask you a question, you say, I don't know, but we can learn together. Can't we learn together? Let's read our Bible together. Let's pray together. Let's, let's seek the things of God together and learn together. It is through faith and faithfulness in Christ and in his gospel that we make disciples. It is by faith working through love. If we love God and we love one another, then we will be willing to walk out our faith with one another and make disciples. As a person is willing to walk together, learn together, and grow together in Jesus Christ, you can be assured that it is God's responsibility to save them. It's not your responsibility to save them. It's not my responsibility to save you. It's God's responsibility. Making disciples is walking with someone and trusting that they will be saved by the power of God. Did you notice that Jesus, when he said, follow me, he didn't say, hey, wait, are you guys born again? Before I sign you up for discipleship, I need to make sure you're born again. That's what the church does. That's wrong. That's wrong. Listen, if someone wants to walk with you and learn the scripture with you and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ with you, you don't have to worry about whether they're born again or not. Just disciple them. God will take care of their salvation. You just disciple them. Just like Jesus did his own disciples. As a person is willing to walk together, learn together, grow together in Jesus, it is God's responsibility to save them by the power of God. And as you continue walking with that person in their salvation, they will be transformed and renewed in their mind by the power of God and their life will prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Each disciple in turn is to do the same with someone else. So discipleship continues and multiplies and this is how the church and the kingdom increases to the glory of God. In fact, this is how we all came to be sitting in this room today. Somebody took the message of the gospel seriously. Somebody took the commission and the command of Jesus to go and make disciples seriously. Your being here, listening to the gospel being preached to you is a testimony that someone did that. Because we didn't all get here by accident. And we're not going to carry this message through the generations by accident. 
And we can look around at our culture and get all bent out of shape and all alarmed about election results and what's happening and, and, and what, what the lesbian bishops are doing in Sweden. Just forget about that. You can't do anything about that. But what you can do is something about your own walk of faith, and you can obey Jesus and make disciples. You say, well, well who, who do I disciple? Well, I don't know. Who's the closest person around you? So parents, that might be your children to start off with, right? It could be a coworker. It could be a friend. It could be a cousin. It could be, a, it could be a, anyone. It could be a complete stranger that you're going to meet tomorrow that you didn't even realize you were going to meet. But are you open to obeying Jesus? Are you open to being a disciple and making disciples? Are you looking at all the reasons why you can't do that, why you're not qualified to do that, or are you trusting in the power of God that can take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, that can take the things that are nothing to bring the things that are to bring to, th to nothing the things that are? The world might say, you're a nobody, and God says, that's okay, I can use nobodies to make somebodies. I can use nobodies to make disciples. Because it's not what the world thinks about you. It's who you are in Jesus Christ. Each disciple, in turn, doing the same, seeing the multiplication of God's kingdom. Jesus died on the cross for the salvation of his people and for the increase of his kingdom. And that message of the cross is foolishness to the world, but to us who are being saved, it is the absolute power of God. It is what has saved you and brought you to this place. It is what invites you to this table every week. It's what you are to be reminded of when you come to this table every week. That you were not saved by your own accord. You were saved by God. That you weren't saved and I was not saved because I deserved to be saved, because I was strong enough to be saved, because I was smart enough to be saved, because I was none of those and neither were you. This table reminds us that our salvation is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. It was by his body given up for us and his blood poured out for us that we can now stand in his presence that we have the grace to obey his command. And the last command he gave to his church before he ascended to the Father was to go and to make disciples. So I'm challenging you, disciples of Jesus, start obeying the command of your master. Let's stop lamenting over the condition of the world and let's start rejoicing over the power of God that's been given to us to make a difference. Amen. I want to invite you to come to this table. As you trust in Jesus, come to this table. We're living in a world where technology literally is doubling, not in years, but in moments, in a matter of hours. New technology, new knowledge. And in the world surrounded by all of this newness. It's ironic that what we must do is relearn and retell the old story. Preparing well for the future means we must know the things of the past that we must not repeat. 
God's word provides the truth and it provides the perspective we need concerning our past and our future. It's time to obey the command of Jesus. It's time to make disciples. It's time to once again make a new history from the old story. That old story, the gospel, is new every morning. It's fresh every day. It is our only hope. The world does not know the story. The people of God must never forget the story. We must tell the story. That specifically means that you must tell the story. We all must tell the story with our words, with our actions, with our whole life. And we must tell it often. In fact, we must live it. We must tell it constantly and steadfastly. And we must not stop telling it until death takes us from this earth. That is the hope of the generations, even until Christ comes the final time. The hope that the generations have is the hope found in the gospel. Tell the story, church. Live the story. Do it until God takes you from this earth. And do it knowing that your life will make a difference if you surrender it to God and live it for God and allow His power to work through you. Amen.